It's happening again. Welcome to Work Cookie, a CBOC podcast. As we broadcast around the world, get bite-sized morsels and tidbits from our industrial organizational psychologists, other experts, and the latest research on the workplace to boost your organization's effectiveness. Sign up now at CBOC.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from our experts. Would it be a bad idea to make your most challenging workplace problems go away? Hello, this is Dr. Jeremy Lookaball, workplace communication and negotiation coach, as well as industrial organizational psychology consultant. In addition to cboc.com that you just heard, you can also visit my website at termboot.com. Also on the panel today, we have Sarah Smith-Berry of Frigo Consulting. Sarah is a psychometrician, veteran advocate, consultant, and modern stoic. Also, we have Tom Bradshaw, voice and speech coach, and a damn good actor at that. He is the leading voice and speech coach for the industrial organizational psychology community. Well, welcome everybody, and welcome to another edition of Work Cookie and our Work Cookie podcast, uh, where we like to share information with the I.O. community, whether you're just starting out in school, about to graduate into the profession, or you've been an I.O. for a number of years. We're glad that you joined us, and we hope that we share some great information with you today. Uh, with me, of course, is Dr. Jeremy Lukaba. We also have some other regulars here. Of course, we have Sarah Smith Barry as well, and lovely to see some people joining us as well. Jeremy, uh, let's talk a little bit about your topic for today. Uh, here it is. Is the resume still worth something, or um, how do we get the right person for the job? And I'm assuming right job. So really interesting because I've actually been looking at resumes, and, and especially when I was teaching in post-secondary, uh, you know, working with young actors who, who, you know, they had two types of resumes. One was for auditions for shows, but they also needed a at least part-time job to support their acting habit. So they would, ha- you know, because I was older and wiser, they'd always have me look at their resumes. And I saw this transformation of the resume over about the last five or 10 years. And even, you know, what you include, what do you put first? All of those things seem to be changing and and I remember as well someone working in either post-secondary or government looking at people's resume and sort of wondering, okay, well, I can glean information from this, but is this really the best resource for me to have when looking for a potential employee? So maybe, you know, how did we get here for this discussion today? And, and what's your view on, on the value of resumes? I think resumes are still extremely valuable, at least, you know, for, for a starting point. And it's a bit of a rhetorical question um, for, for as a topic today, but there, there's a lot of different things that you can look into. So, you know, finding the right candidate for the job and in terms of the resume. So, of course, we're going to look at, you know, um, uh, situational uh, techniques and looking at past behaviors in that particular situation. We might look at psychometric assessments, um, all these other things. But when you look at what the resume actually is and does right now i don't i wonder if there's any of course maybe the smaller companies but if you've seen any of the algorithms that go in to what is crawling over the resumes to at least filter them down i mean you're really talking about you know it whizzes creating these things and the algorithms before a human can ever look at them and then 
part of me thinks that once you get down to the once you get down to the human actually looking over at the resumes, there there is a little bit there where I think the resume is as good as the person looking at it, because there are are kinds of things where um, you know even a bad impression uh, w- with anything on a on a particular resume can greatly decrease just just a tiny bad impression. And we've got we've got and then Devin's got a lot to say on this topic, but yeah. So let's talk about you know as. I think we're going to have a lot of information here for people who are job hunting, but also how can we as uh, people looking at the resumes at potential candidates, how can we um, enhance what we're doing, the candidate's experience and get the right person for the job. And and before we go to Devin and Sarah, I want to bring, I want to come to you eventually too, because I want to know if there's any sort of analytic numbers around resumes and how effective or how accurate they are. But one of the stories I'm hearing now is from people who are telling me that, you know, they applied for a position and they go through, you know, the process on their computer, they submit their application, and then they get another email going, uh, before we look at your resume, we have a series of 20 questions we'd like you to answer. And you get the feeling that they're not even going to look at your resume if you don't score highly on these 20 questions. And it's not, they're telling me that they're not, you know, the type of questions that you can easily figure out what you need to say to get the job. They're often questions, you know, what's your favorite color? So are, are those having a huge influence on the resume now in the selection of candidates? And is it true that unless you score high on those questions, you know, I'm not even going to take a look at your resume. Is that what you're hearing as well, Jeremy? Tom, I'm going to do one of those things where there were a couple of people having trouble getting in today. So okay. I'm doing a couple back end things. So feel free just to go to anyone else. All right. Well, Devin, let's bring you up here. If you want to uh, unmute your mic and, and join me here on the screen. Uh, what is it exactly that... Oh, is Devin still with us? I'm here. Do you, do you see oh, me? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Okay. Where did you go for a second? So let me pose the same question to you is, is my resume still valid? And what is going on with all of these questions after I submit my resume? Sure. So big picture, yes, resume is still number one, along with your LinkedIn profile, since there's so many companies now where if you're applying for a job through LinkedIn, you can just submit your profile. And sometimes you're like, oh, great. That's that's even easier than having to then upload my resume and right. quicker, which is, which is, I think, really beneficial and helpful that companies are recognizing that your LinkedIn profile can have just as much content as your resume, if not potentially more. Um, so short answer, yes, but still very important because there's plenty of organizations that, as Jeremy mentioned, use an algorithm to find the keywords in your resume my, my um, advice always is to have a number of different resumes, not different information on the resumes, but depending on the type of role, the industry, what you're servicing, what you're providing, your experience level. Um, if, it's, if it's something that you're applying for and your experience was longer ago, well, have a resume where it em- emphasizes you know, those traits and, and qualifications. Um, and also then I'll, and I'll get to your question about the sort of like the personality test questions in the application process. Um, but just as employers are getting more creative in reviewing resumes, so applicants are getting more creative in what they include in their resume. Um, and that 
shift, I think, is welcomed on both both parties because we see um, uh, candidates that are able to show themselves in a different way. So if you're a creative person and you're applying for a art design or digital design, you're going to show a link to your portfolio as opposed to a piece of paper resume of I had this job and this is what I did. And so, yes, I am seeing a bit more in the the questions of, um, I guess you can classify it as like culture fit, um, just on the same end of the employer. Now, I haven't seen those questions, like I work at a large um, public relations firm, I haven't seen that come into my world of the communications industry, because you do have to be careful with those questions that there can be any sort of discrimination tied to it. It's um, employers are not allowed to only base whether they're moving forward with the candidate or not with those questions. It might be in combination with the resume and the portfolio and whatever at any or writing samples or anything else that you've submitted. But um, that won't stop you from moving forward in the process. Okay, good to know. Uh, let me <laughs> let me ask you the same question that my daughters who are both in university, but you know, every year apply for summer jobs. This is the, this is the question they ask me every year. Is a cover letter necessary? <laughs> so that's not so straight of an answer. Yes and no. I think if you're if you are in the world of writing and your first basically example of what type of writing you can do um, is going to be in that cover letter, then yes, it's really important. If you are showing additional skills that can't be reflected on your resume, or you're talking about other leadership opportunities or other extracurricular activities that you want to be represented as part of your package, then yes, a cover letter is very important. I think um, it, it depends on the industry. If it's a, if it's a more, um, I don't know if it's, if it's not a startup and if it's a less, if it's a more established organization that maybe some of their processes and procedures are still a bit antiquated, they might be looking for a cover letter. It can't hurt to ever have one. I'll put it that way. <laughs> Just don't reiterate what's already on your resume. <laughs> right. Right. Um, so maybe I'm not sure if you can even answer this question, and it might be a little bit like sharing the secret sauce. But if you're looking at a stack of resumes and you need to hire that particular person, are there some key indicators, you know, beyond the job specific needs that you want to be looking for in somebody's resume? Or any, are there any like hackable secrets that those of us who are applying for jobs should be including in those resumes because they may be key? Sure. So it's an easy answer. Make sure your resume is reflecting what the job description is asking for. If you need, and that's why I say you can have a couple of resumes because you're not, you're not lying. You're not changing your experience, but you're pulling out what's applicable and exemplifying it. So that when they're looking at your resume and they're like, wow, job description X and then resume X, there's so much that overlaps here. I need to talk to this. Right. Well, Jeremy, are, are you available yet? Have you figured out those issues? I did. So let me, let me bring it back to you now, because one of the conversations that we've been having is how accurate are job descriptions? And I can, you know, I can really see in the hiring process, I need that job description to know exactly who I'm, I'm going to be hiring. 
But as we've discovered, you know, there becomes this drift after after someone is hired. So, boy, the resume is critical, but maybe we should do away with them. The job descriptions are really critical, but maybe we should do away with them. But how accurate really are they? And and are they really the go-to when I'm looking to hire? So there's something called O-Net. It's O-Asterix-Net that, you can, that uh, you, you can go to on the web. And it has basically any, any position that you can think of will tell you the, the job skills, the, the, the tasks that are necessary for that job, the job skills that are necessary for that job, what type of technology, what type of environment. It'll tell you the average um, uh, you know, college type of education that's required for that particular job. And that's a good place for anyone who's either looking for a job or posting a job rec to, to, to get at least a baseline for whether it's verbiage, terminology, those kinds of things. I think the job description is more important than, than ever now. And I think, I mean, I, quite frankly, I think the job description is something that people should look at, you know, even on a quarterly basis, if not more with their, you know, with their managers. And I mean, even something as simple as going with your manager and, and using a, a little highlighting system. Here's where I'm excelling. Here's where I need a little more help. And if the job description is a little outdated, you know, of course, you know, update it. There's a lot of things that are changing, changing, changing. But when people are, when job clarity and role clarity are becoming ever so important, I think that's something where job descriptions are, are great and they need to be updated. And that's, I mean, it's just another opportunity for managers to engage with their employer, with their employees um, to figure out, you know, are we on track? And it's a, it's kind of a, you know, it's one of the more low stakes situations. It's, it can be a less type of formal meeting. And those are a good chance to, um, I don't want to say bond. I do want to say bond to bond uh, a little bit on a professional level with, with those, with those you work with. Uh, Sarah, let me come to you next because I'm, I'm wondering, Especially, you know, the entire process, if, I'm, if I've identified that there's a need in my company, I need to hire somebody, do I really not need to start doing some assessments hmm. about what the position requires so that I can get a really good job description? Do I maybe need to do an assessment to see if I truly need a new hire or if there's somebody who can transition into that position? So how will looking at some of the analytics not only help with posting that position, but is there any help in analytics through you know, the recruitment process and making sure I hire the right person? Okay, so when it comes to recruitment, I actually, and people are gonna be probably shocked by this, um, as a psychometrician, I do not recommend using psychometrics as a first step in your hiring process. And there is a really good reason for that. Um, a lot of it has to do with legality, but also I think if you're gonna be using assessments, using them on your existing employees is a lot more helpful as a starting position um, as a means to tailor that job description with help from the hiring manager, because a lot of these job descriptions are standardized throughout, especially larger organizations. Um, they're standardized for a particular role. And the hiring manager sometimes has little or no input into actually how that information reads. And so candidates will actually make it all the way through the hiring process and become, you know, this new employee at an organization. And they'll say, my job is nothing like what I applied for. Yeah. This is not what I expected at all. It's like a bait and switch. 
And there's a big gap that happens there. But actually, I want to start by saying that I am a huge advocate for the death of the resume. And that is going to probably shock a lot of people as well. I want resumes to die completely. I want it to be LinkedIn profiles as the primary gold standard. And there is a reason for this. Information and ownership of information is money in our new world. And when a company has a candidate's information flash frozen in time in a database, that is money. That is information that they are holding on to. That candidate therefore then updates their LinkedIn profile and that company is not notified of that update. Okay. So that company may be using that information for all kinds of analytics within their organization. And now all of their analytics are completely screwed up because they're going based on outdated information. So I'm a big advocate for LinkedIn profiles being superior, the integration into the human resource information system as a means to have more readily available and current information for all sorts of different analytics across the organization so that they can really improve their hiring process with real-time information rather than just stuff that's been sitting in their system for years. So it's important then for us, the unknown is on us who want to be employees to really keep those profiles up to date. Oh, yes. And honestly, I do a lot. Everyone knows I do a lot of work with veterans. I spend a lot of time tailoring resumes and I spend most of my time helping them get past the AI bit. Okay. So using the keywords and all of that to help them get past the AI um, different algorithms and that sort of thing just so that I can get them to that interview stage, because you understand that most people exiting the military have a very generalist background um, and it's not highly specialized depending on, you know, the MOS or whatever, but generally with superiority comes a more general, a flip back to a more generalist profile. And that can become a problem when they're attempting to get past these sorts of algorithms, right? Because the algorithm is looking for very specific keywords. Um, So like Devin was mentioning, having multiple resumes um, with not different information, but different keywords that are tailored to that specific type of role within that organization and understanding that organization's specific verbiage, right? Because every company calls things just slightly different um, is really important in a candidate research. So um, that's all long story short to say that your LinkedIn profile should reflect everything current about you, as well as all of the things that you may be volunteering with and everything else, because that to me really is the icing on the cake when it comes to candidate selection is being able to see who that person is as a human being. Um, and that's my advocacy for using assessments is using them in a way that it highlights individuality and individual contributions within an organization. So I hope that's helpful. <laughs> well, nice. And, and you started this. So Devin, <laughs> let's come back to you. Do you want to join Sarah in the, in the land of, of uh, getting rid of the resume? Or do you want to keep it? I completely agree. And she made an incredibly, incredibly wise point of um, as your resume changes and as you gain more experience and um, education, that that's not living in a live place on a piece of paper, you know, or on your computer. Um, And that LinkedIn is where people go to celebrate those, those steps and that, and that movement. And that is why the jobs that, allow you to just submit your LinkedIn profile. Awesome. Because then you know that they are already starting from that as they're, as they're, you know, 
taking off point to go to um, how they're going to review candidate resumes. So, you know, it's um, it's kind of like how I was saying in some of the roles where if you're a creative designer and you're going to have a portfolio to show your work, I still think it's going to take employers a while to move away from that. The, like I was saying with some of the, the employers that are a little bit more antiquated of um, and in the, in a space where there's a lot of writing uh, or if that's the if written communication is a big part of the job. I think they tend to use the resume as like, okay, this is sort of writing test number one, along with the cover letter. So I'm with you, Sarah. I just think it's going to take maybe the startups and the, the companies that are a bit more cutting edge will be on board with that. And hopefully we do get there someday because boy, it would make life a whole lot easier to not have to always constantly be thinking about updating your resume. <laughs> <laughs> well, that wasn't the fun debate I was hoping for. <laughs> But let me go, and, and Sarah, I'm going to come back to you because, you know, I know working with the military and helping them shift their career, unfortunately, with the military, you're often working with people who have disability issues. And and Rebecca puts a great thing in the chat where she asks or states that the problem with replacing the resume with LinkedIn, though, is that it can increase age discrimination or attractiveness bias because employers now see what the candidate looks like. How would we overcome bias and discrimination based on candidates' physical appearance? Easy peasy, lemon squeezy, Tom. So <laughs> in LinkedIn Recruiter, that would be just like a simple switch where the profiles are no longer seen. And actually, I'm pretty sure I don't have LinkedIn Recruiter myself, so I can't say, but I know that there is a part during our program um, that I'm a part of where we teach what LinkedIn Recruiter actually looks like to our prospective military candidates, just so that they understand what recruiters are looking at. And I'm I'm almost positive that the way that the information is aggregated within their system, it's not like there's a profile picture next to each one. Now, obviously, once they click on, say, maybe their top 10 or something like that, they're going to see those images. But just um, to answer, I believe it was Rebecca's question, nine out of 10 recruiters look at the LinkedIn profile before they do anything else with any resume that piques their interest anyway. So as far as that age discrimination or attractiveness bias, it's already a problem. So thank you for calling that out. I actually did an experiment myself on this about two years ago where I actually took my profile image off of LinkedIn and just left it blank. And I sent the same messaging out to prospective clients to see if I got more responses with an image or without an image. And believe it or not, I actually got more responses without an image than I did with my image. So, you know, that actually goes against what we know about attractiveness bias and that sort of thing for females on, on LinkedIn. So I really think that it could go either way, um, but it definitely does have an impact and it is something that um, companies need to be paying attention to. Absolutely. Right. And, you know, it's interesting because I've talked often about, you know, Zoom dysmorphia now and the, you know, the notion that, you know, people are considering themselves attractive enough to be on screen. Uh, but what we've learned over, you know, 100 years of film, 70 years of television is that, yeah, the beautiful person attracts our eye, but it's the interesting looking person that we're engaged with over an extended period of time. So we, we sort of overestimate beauty. However, <laughs> here I am, and it's interesting what you say about, you know, a visual image of somebody because I've cast film, I've cast theater, 
and I get a resume and I get a photo and I can't make the decision on the character unless I have both of those. And so for me, you know, if I'm casting something like a production, it is important. The visual image it is, is the, but it, especially with LinkedIn now, should we just totally discount the visual image or can we use it to our advantage? Even if we're not a beautiful person to really sort of put ourselves at the head of the line. Well, Tom, I think that comes down to personal branding. And that is another huge push in the way that things are going to be, you know, in the future, because it really is going to end up becoming a candidate market. That's that's really how things are moving. I think it's going to be less of an employee pool within an organization. And actually, organizations are going to be reaching out to more like individual contributor as type roles and being paid per project. I think that's actually the future of work. I don't think it's going to stay salary based and all of that for too much longer. Um, just because people are starting to see the value and diversification of their income portfolio and that sort of thing. Right. And especially the, the millennial generations and the newer generations coming up, they're being taught those things. So it's going to be really important that organizations are looking at personal brand and that people and candidates are starting to ask questions like, hey, do I have a personal brand? One of the first things I tell people is get your, and this is a little tangent, but for everyone here, this is a nice little hack. Get your name.com, buy the domain and link it to your LinkedIn profile. So every single time someone Googles your name, you come up right at the top with your own.com and they click on it and it takes you right to LinkedIn. Guess how awesome that makes you look to whatever recruiter just looked at your resume. They go, wow, this person really wants to be found. Wow, this, this person re is really taking their personal branding seriously, even if you don't have time to build a website or the knowledge or know how to do so. So there are a bunch of different ways that you can go about doing this. And I really think personal branding is just the future, really. It's the future of what a candidate market's going to look like. As far as the way we look, I don't know that we're ever going to be able to get around that as humans. That's just, that's something that we have to be aware of. And that would come down to um, internal culture and, and sort of that more internal like leadership development piece um, that organizations are pre uh, preparing their hiring teams with, right? We're going to talk about that bias. We're going to become more aware of that bias within ourselves. And when we catch ourselves engaging in those behaviors, this is how we auto-correct. And I really think that that is going to be imperative, no matter what sort of technology we use in the hiring process. You, you bridge this, so I'm going to come to you first, and then, and then maybe I'll, I'm, I think I'll need some comments from other people, but where is the power? You know, we traditionally, you know, I grew up in a world where the company or the business had the power as an employee, I wanted the job. But we seem to, especially now with the pandemic and the great resignation, we're now seeing a world where, especially when there's, you know, there's more positions than people available right now, it seems like the power has gone to the potential employees or the employees in general, where it's more about you need to make me happy in my work life. So is, is, that, is that going to side one way or another? Is this simply a transition where we're transitioning to a world where employees do carry more power? because they can leave at any time, there's another job down the street, um, or are we going to see it revert back to a situation where I'm so thankful I have a job? Where are we going, Sarah? I know which direction I would like it to go. <laughs> um, of course, I would always advocate for the individual to have more power over any sort of established, you know, 
system um, because systems are, are fallible, right? And they're only as good as the individual makeup of each one of the individuals that contributes to the overall system. So I, I always take that reductionist view. That's how I go. Some people go big to small. I go small to big. That's that's my my own personal preference. But I can say at the end of the day that if employees are in fact given more power, we need to make sure that that power is not a, like an illusion. Right. Okay. So we don't want organizations coming forward and saying we're doing X, Y, Z for our employees, but really it's all smoke and mirrors because they're trying to save a buck. So that is really where corporate responsibility um, personnel come in. That's really where, um, you know, all of the teams that are actually kind of giving that transparency to the organization is really important. Um, Honestly, I think that's the biggest contribution of social media to the corporate responsibility game. So um, there is a call for, for that sort of thing. And I think companies are under an immense amount of scrutiny. Um, cancel culture is huge. We also need to be mindful as practitioners about the impact of that. Um, Jeremy and Tom and I were talking recently about a juice bar. Uh, <laughs> and um, the, the basically, long story short, um, there was an ad placed for someone who was not a crybaby. Let me just wrap that up real quick. But that's essentially what, what the... Um, advert read. And, you know, that sort of thing is damaging, especially in this whole cancel culture environment. So news like that spreads like wildfire. So companies are doing everything they can to make sure that that doesn't happen, but at the expense of making sure that they're not highlighting individuals and giving individuals too much power. So it really is a balancing act between those two circumstances. On on that note of, on that note of power, Devin, I want to ask, I want to ask you this. So I'm hearing that people are that that recruiters and, and companies are getting ghosted by candidates who accepted a job offer. I saw a post from somebody who said, "What what's going on? This happened in the past, but now it's happening more and more often." Is that a thing? I could add a couple a couple points. Number one, it is such a candidate's market right now. Employers can't waste their time being biased about resumes, experience, not finding exactly what they need, not paying enough money, um, because candidates can, if you have a skill set that, that a company is looking for, um, you can walk in and name, name your price. Um, and because of that, candidates are getting multiple offers. It becomes like a bidding war. And so they'll accept a, a job wait and see, or if they're not going to start for another couple of weeks, see what else comes in. If something better comes in, then they just jump to that. With every new hire that I brought on, which last year was a hundred new hires at my organization, because it's been crazy. um, I don't, I don't sit well knowing that they are on board until they are actually like a week or two in, because even then I'm still concerned that they're going to bounce and go somewhere else, even after they've started. So it's, it's shifted to, to um, really the employer doesn't have the power any, anymore. Um, It's the power has shifted to the the candidate and the new employee. Oh, what a brave new world. Uh, just to do a little reset today, you know, we're, we're here with CBOC, uh, talking mainly to IOs and those people who uh, are in the health industry working with individuals and organizations. Uh, and we've heard some great voices today, but someone we haven't heard from is you, Lindan. <laughs> and I know you've got experience when it comes to, you know, hiring people. So 
give us your thoughts on what you've heard today. Is there stuff that you agree with and other stuff that you're maybe not too sure about? Um, yeah, good. And it's, it's good to be here. And um, I have walked in Devin's shoes. Um, <laughs> I, and this was before the pandemic, even when we had really low unemployment, you know, and you hire somebody and I would always call them a day or two before their start date and say, are you showing up? You know, how are you doing? Do you have any questions? Those kinds of things and making sure that they were going to show up. And then I always checked in to say, is this what you expected? You know, back to what Sarah was commenting on, making sure that what they were doing was what they had expected to be doing. Um, Because early in their career, in that time with you in that first week, two, three months, whatever, their pipeline was still active, right? Other people were still making decisions. And so if they get a really good offer, um, you know, who wouldn't, I mean, there's, it's really an ethical issue, you know, but you have to, and how you handle that. But um, yeah, you can't take for granted that they're with you for the next six years, you know? (laughs) So I, I've been there. I understand that completely. And on on Sarah's point, um, I love the idea of not having the resume as a hard copy anymore because you know the, I think that that could eliminate some of the issue with um, recruitment because and not making it past that that hard copy scan kind of thing. Oh, your your bullet points weren't right and it didn't make it through the system, and you never know that, right? Even though. Like when Devin was talking about making sure that your um, current resume matches the job requirements and people are still not hearing back, you know, so if you have your good resume, that takes that piece out of it. And I think that's a great idea. I think you still need to keep keep kind of like that historical hard copy for yourself, because as you update your resume and and tweak it and making sure that you're you're maybe taking a couple of the low, you know, the, the old, old stuff off that's previous career stuff. That, so you're not getting age discrimination. You still need to keep some of that record for you for yourself or as things change. So that's um, that's my two cents. Well, it's worth at least a dollar, Linda. Um, let me let me switch and, and ask you this then, because you know, especially when we started talking about the Great Resignation, like six eight months ago, because we could see it coming. Uh, I've been keeping my eye on the job boards, and it's interesting that there are some positions with some companies where I see the position advertised, and then it goes away, and then like from two weeks to two months later the position is being advertised again. So is that part of simply it's the great resignation and people are taking positions then going on to something better? Or are we also dealing with, boy, if you find yourself recruiting every two weeks to two months for the same position, then maybe something in the position needs to change? I think there's probably a combination of things going on there. A lot of times, you know, you you purchase that those job board ads for two weeks or two, for a month or whatever, and sometimes they expire, right? And you've got a pile of resumes or whatever, and, and you want to get through those before you post it again because you maybe haven't found the right person. So I think there's a couple of factors that that play into that, you know, and if you have a larger company, you know, with a pool of, you know, 50 employees that have similar job descriptions, then yeah, you could easily be dealing with crap. I got, they came to my office again. Right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, well, Devin, have, have you gone through the experience where there is that position where, you know, it seems like we're replacing the person or having to try to find somebody else, 
all the time and you know you have to either look at the position or turn to an organization that maybe you're you're recruiting for and go what is going on with this position that no one will stay yeah yeah with that again a lot of factors could play into that you know right now depending on skill set obviously anything healthcare related in the world an incredible amount of need um in all levels and so um I, th- I think that how kind of the world is ebb and flowing and where the needs are, my organization, we just decided to keep up anything healthcare related all the time so that there's a constant flux of resumes coming in um, to sort of build that pipeline. So, you know, it's um, if there's then if there's some sort of internal, I guess you could call it structural issue where a position isn't working time and time again, well then, yeah, you have to take a step back and say, what's going on here? Is it the management? Is it the actual work? Is it, are we, are are our expectations not in alignment? Are we not setting the employee up for success? Do they not have the resources they need? So, I mean, there can be a lot that plays into that, but big picture right now, it's where the demand is for for what the skill sets, you know, the skill sets that the companies need. Um, well, keep those positions open. Well, let me ask you this then, because it, this is something I've wondered about, and you, you've kind of mentioned it, but are organizations putting up job postings, not because they have a position open, but because, especially now with the great resignation going on, they just want to build up their database of potential hires. And is sure. that, that, that's been going on like since the existence of business? Yeah. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, you don't have to, um, you know, there's no contract there. Now, obviously, if you make an offer, then yes. But um, yeah, you can you can build a pipeline, you can build interest. Um, Sometimes that can work in both ways, though. When I look at a company that has a ton of open jobs, I'm sometimes I'm like, "Ooh, what's going on? Why are there so many open positions? Um, or you can look at it as a growth opportunity. Wow, they're they're really building. Right. So, um, it, like I said, that can kind of work both ways. And, and Jeremy, let's bring you in here. It's our focus today is on the resumes, and you know we we all want to attract the best employees possible. But boy, how do I keep the really good ones so I'm not constantly advertising for a position? I know Devin's got to leave, so I just want to say thank you for Devin. She's got a hard stop at 115, so thank you so much for being here. And so, Thanks Tom, you're saying me. how do we keep the – how do we keep the – go ahead. Oh, I think Devin was just saying goodbye. <laughs> and Linda, I will come to you next, so continue your thought, Jeremy. So, Tom, you were saying how do we, how do we keep the good employees? Yeah, you know, we're, we're, t- we're focusing on the resume today and that recruiting aspect – but boy, if I'm a company owner, I don't want to be hiring all the time unless my business is growing. I don't want to be replacing employees, especially if they're valuable. So how do I keep them? That I'm gonna I'm gonna pivot back. I'm gonna pivot over to something in terms of the resume as is an art, but that also goes over to you know leadership as an art and recognizing because we have the great resignation and we know that it's affecting you know for the most part you're looking at the demographic of 30 to 45 year olds um, and why are they leaving and what are they hoping for? We've got to think about it in terms of the grass is greener on the other side, but you still have to mow it. And that goes both for the employer and for the employee. 
So if the employer is, is high, you know, uh, has, you know, really good employees, you still have to, you still have to manicure and you still have to take care of that work environment and realize, you know, what are the needs? We talked um, in our virtual communication event just before this, we talked a lot about empathy and how, you know, leaders, it's, it's important for leaders to gain that empathy, but also we can't change attitude in the workplace, but we can change behavior. And when we change behavior, we start to create new experiences, which then change perspectives, which lead to actual empathy. So it's more, it's, it's going, it's saying, all right, what needs to change? And then what are we doing to actually go for, um, uh, for the behavior change, whether it's coaching, training, and sometimes let's face it, getting rid of toxic, uh, of, of toxic people in the workplace. Because especially with now what's going on, do we want to lose? Do we do we want to you know have to get rid of one manager who just isn't cutting it, or do we want to get lose you know three, four, five, six employees over the course of the year because they're leaving because of this particular manager? So I'll say you know we look at it. it it's an art. It's about um, incorporating these different skills and different perspectives on a day to day basis. And then this is where my question to everyone is: <clears throat> when you look at resume reading, is it how to what extent is resume reading considered an art? Because so I have I have some um, some data here. There was a study, and the reason is a study from 2019. And the reason the study was was conducted was because, quoting the authors, quote, there was no research found that was based on actual hiring decisions. Instead, the current research identified identified is based on evaluations of hypothetical resumes and job openings. So this in this study, it was um, about 2000. 2000 candidates so they actually looked at candidates that were applying for the jobs what they found so here are resume characteristics and i'll get back into the art part resume characteristics that best predict selection for interviews these are all statistically significant results relevant work experience college degree currently enrolled in college was also huge and any achievement so if you're looking so you know these are again the best predict the best predict selection for interviews, resume characteristics. You want to make sure you have relevant work experience, the other predictors, college degree, or currently enrolled in college and achievements, and also reduce your unemployment gaps. Unemployment ga gaps longer than 30 days. If there were none, then 70% of those resume, those uh, individuals with the resumes were invited to interview. If there are one to two employment unemployment gaps longer than 30 days, that dropped by 13% down to 63% were invited to interview. Three to five employment gaps longer than 30 days, only 43% were invited to interview. So that brings me back to, are we looking at some kind of an, is there an art to resume reading? Because if somebody has, if you're looking at a resume where somebody's getting education, certification, upskilled, and those aren't relevant to their current job that's listed on the resume, does that not mean that they are looking for, they're doing what it takes for their next career move, which is potentially with your company. So they're being proactive for their next career move, which is your company, um, who they're currently submitting the resume to. So what level of an art is there and understanding how to interpret a resume rather than just going off of more black and white? This is, you know, employment gap more than 30 days. We're not going to look at it. So th that kind of aspect of it. I'll turn it back to you, Tom. Well, if it's, if it's not an art form, it's definitely a skill set. Uh, Linda Ann, I see your hand up. Let's go back to you. Why don't you unmute your mic? <laughs> um, 
well, just with um, I had a comment be about before, but uh, and I can't remember quite what it was. But with regard to what um, uh, Jeremy was saying, I, I think it definitely is an art form. I think, and especially when you're looking at those gaps, you know, sometimes somebody moves from one part of the country to the other, and so that takes, you know, that causes a gap. Sometimes there's economic changes that cause, you know, real gaps in the, the resume. And I'm sure that, you know, I remember um, in 2008 when I was recruiting or, or not long uh, in like 2014, when I was recruiting for architects, I'd look at these architects resumes and they'd be, okay, they were an architectural intern. And then there was, uh, then they were, you know, a computer software salesperson and that because the economy tanked, right. And there was nobody was hiring. So they, there's different things that really factor into that. So I think you have to have that, that um, informational piece to go to, to, to connect the dots for some of those backgrounds that aren't, you know, something that the, the AI can, can really do for you. Um, um, what was I oh, the other thing I was going to say was when you, one of the things that in some organizations where I've been, when somebody, when there was a high rate of turnover in um, certain areas, they looked at the manager. It wasn't just the employees, you know, and so some places will track the turnover rate for the managers and go, okay, is this, is this the, a management problem or is this really, you know, employees? And sometimes too, kind of uh, resignation can be contagious within a department or an organization as well because they see the kind of like they see his handwriting on the wall and I'm getting out while the getting's good kind of thing. Let me turn my mic back on. I've <laughs> seen this come up a little bit in the chat. And once again, it, it was a, a question that students who were about to graduate would be asking me. And it's the old, everybody's asking for experience on your resume. But when you don't have any experience because you're just starting out, how do you build a resume that's going to attract the eye of the person doing the hiring? Any thoughts on that? Is that for, oh, for me? Yeah. Typically, well, I mean, typically you say, well, are there volunteer organizations that are out there that can give you the kind of experience that you're looking for? You know, and it depends on how bad you want it. I mean, when I wanted to change careers, you know, one of the things I literally, I wanted to be in a certain industry and I wanted a certain skill set. And I knocked on doors and said, I'm willing to do it for free. Can I work for you? And worked, you know, um, odd hours or whatever, anything to get the experience that that I wanted so that I could, because I was the victim of somebody, I went through four interviews and then the final interview said, no, you don't have, they changed company policy and they said, nope, you don't have the experience. So I'm like, I'm fixing that. And so there's, there's, they are ways. They're not necessarily fun. Depends on how bad you want it. Well, Jeremy, let me bring it to you then, because you know we we do have a lot of the CBOC members, and a lot of them are are young and just starting out. So, and Linda Ann talks about you know trying to find those volunteer experiences or those other experiences that give you something to put on your resume. If I'm an I who's this spring going to graduate with my master's or PhD. What can I be doing to build up that resume? So I, I think a lot of people, some people don't even know it. There's a lot of a lot of IOs, and you know this can go for any industry that are. Let's say they're getting their 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 degree, um, whatever it be, right? Um, bachelor's, master's, or PhD, depending on whatever industry you're in, one comparable than the other. So think about the job that you're in now, 
and how can you start to make that job really applicable? Well, let's speak about for IOs in particular. There are people, I spoke with someone the other day who is in working in a very large company in um, like training and development, learning and development, and saying, I'm looking for an internship in, so I can practice my IO skills. You don't need an, you know, usually you're in, you're already working in more or less uh, that kind of learning and development department. You're, you're in the human resources aspect. And again, I'm not, I'm not saying anything with the parallel between HR and IO. That's a, a conversation. But think about what you can do in your current position to start to practice some of the skills that are necessary because that will help you tailor your job, your resume saying that, yes, I've done coaching in the workplace, or yes, I've done statistical analysis to help make evidence-based decisions. And yes, I've done X, Y, Z. Those are things that can be done with any job. I've seen it done. I've seen someone who was um, in the dog grooming business, an up and coming IO, who started to look at data and analytics and and all kinds of, and was able to, and within, literally within, um, literally actually within three months, uh, this person ended up getting a job in an IO capacity because she was able to take for um, you know the, the, the previous tenure at her dog grooming business company that she worked at right. and apply those skills. So that's important too. And I, I want to go go also back to it doesn't necessarily if you're looking at a job description. This is where we go back to the cover letter. If you don't have particular skills, we, we talk about, you know, everyone knows, use transferable skills, right? That's where it's not, in a, you know, you ask, is it a bad idea to write a cover letter and say, here are the exact, here are the job requirements. And here's how what I've done either in my personal life, volunteer, school, sports team, um, current job. Here's exactly how I can parallel my skills and experience and my talents with what is exactly required for the job. And that can be done in a cover letter uh, or any kind of supplement, supplemental uh, you know, upload because you can upload supplemental documents. Now that goes back to, of, of course, and that's another topic for another time because how much time are they gonna look if you get your foot in the door? But that is, um, that's important. I do wanna go, I do wanna answer because we're, getting towards the end here of our time together dane asked so i read some um uh, some data from the study that we looked at and by the way the name of that study which i forgot to mention so i'll mention now it's called resume factors that predict candidate selection for interviews um by levitt levitt lindner and huh um international leadership journal fall 2019 so that's where that particular study came. And Dane asked a really good question. After the fact, Dane, Dane says, quote, are those factors also leading to effective employees after the interview? The, the researchers uh, explicitly stated that they did not follow the candidates and see if they were actually effective workers. This was based off of the question uh, and statements that a lot, a lot of job seekers have, which is, if I could just get an interview, I know I could get the job. So this was a study based off of how do we get our resume to get us to that point of the interview and then the study ended. Uh, with that, Jeremy, we're, we're almost at a time. We're almost to the bottom of the hour. Uh, we, we, Sarah, Sarah mentioned earlier that you and I had, had this discussion with Sarah about uh, the juice shop 
part of the work, work cookie podcasts where do we find those so those are all any podcast provider you're looking at work cookie is the name of the podcast and if you go to cbock.com um, and then cbock.com slash podcast you can see quick links to all of your favorite podcasters well is isn't it also true that when it comes to uh, podcasts specifically for the io community work cookie is now number two yeah we're number two fast climbing very very quickly and uh, i have a good feeling of a number one very soon it's coming and uh, also we did have a great interview uh, earlier today with sophie wade uh, where can you find well <laughs> I guess you're going to find it on YouTube once I've edited it. Uh, but yeah, you can find that interview on the Virtual Communication Mastery YouTube page. Uh, and Jeremy and I are always doing videos all the time. If you want to join us, um, get in touch with us. We have a lot of fun. Uh, Sarah, we just have a couple of minutes left. I want to throw it back to you because bringing it back to our resume discussion, you do great work with the military, both you know current members and former members, and they have to transition you know, from their military life into the, you know, the, the civilian life with the rest of us. And I could have 20 years of military experience, but how do I convince, you know, IBM that I'm a good hire for them? Well, here's the thing. I think at the end of the day, it comes down to organizations know the value of like, say, it, for example, a retiring lieutenant colonel. They understand what that individual brings to the table. And they understand that also, if they can get that lieutenant commander to be loyal to them, that is priceless. Okay. So I start by making sure that my veterans understand their value right from the beginning. But then I also teach them to cater their expectation because being a lieutenant commander is very different than, say, being a program manager or an individual contributor at USAA. Okay. So managing those expectations is a huge part of it. Um, when it comes down to the resume, the hardest part is translation. So, how do I translate the things I did in the military? for my country, very, some of these things, very technical in nature. Um, some of them, you know, my guys with top secret security clearances, they can't even talk about some of the things that they've done. Right. So how do I translate that? How do I put that on a resume? That's almost impossible. That's a hurdle that seems insurmountable, but really it's not at the end of the day, it's about triangulating what they're good at, what they can see themselves doing for a long period of time. And how can they pull those keywords that those hiring managers are wanting to see and find a time in their military career when they did X, Y, and Z? So that's the thing is most military careers are so diversified because they jump from location to location. They wear many different hats. So I tell all of them, you've done the job. You just have to remember when you did it. And then we dive into, okay, what were the skills that you needed at that time? What sort of platforms were you using? And that's when we're able to build out those different resumes for different roles. So it really isn't insurmountable. It just, when you're looking at the big picture of what you did in the military and trying to say, okay, now I'm a program manager, that's impossible because they want to write out 20 bullet points of what they did at every single duty station because it was a lot of work. Right. Um, and you can't do that. So yeah, it's it's just a matter of refining and and making sure that you're putting the best parts of yourself out, the, the parts that you want to continue doing. 
and get paid to do. Exactly. Well, thank you for that. And thank you for your service when you were in the military. Um, and Jeremy, we have come to the end of our time. Uh, do you want to give us a little preview of what we're going to be talking about next week? Yeah, I'm going to before I share the topic for next week, if you're if you're out there, if you're looking to work with an IO, an industrial organizational psychologist, you can go to cboc.com and check that out for uh, corporate memberships. Also, if you're an IO, if you're a professional, if you're already an expert in the field, um, check out cboc.com and just join the waiting list for membership. And also, if you're an up and coming IO and you're in a program now for IO or your early career IO, go to cboc.com and join the waiting list for membership because we have a lot of things that can help with your journey into getting to where you want to be in your career. The topic for next week is, and we're gonna have a field day with this. I know Sarah is uh, mm. in particular. High versus low stakes situations. How do you use psychometric tests for the yeah. workplace? <laughs> next week, Thursday, 12 p.m. EST. I can see Sarah's excited already. Uh, well, thank you, everybody, uh, everybody, for joining us today. Uh, thank you, Dr. Jeremy. Thank you, Linda, and thank you, Sarah. Uh, thanks, Devin, who unfortunately had to leave us a little bit early for joining us on stage. Thank you, everybody else, for the great conversation we're seeing in the chat today. And with that, Jeremy, why don't you count us out of here? Thank you, Tom. We're out of here in five, four, three, two, and one. Thanks for listening to this episode of 